The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm looking forward to getting into the Word here, so if you, you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to take them out. I am normally not given to themes. Uh, themes, you know, calendars, days, holidays, it's never really been a thing for me, and I had a conversation with the worship team before uh, we began service this morning, and uh, the conversation involved uh, uh, tomorrow, you know, tomorrow being July the 5th, and, and one of the questions was uh, about, you know, closures to observe July 4th, and I, I, I kind of laughed. I drove through the, the bank, you know, I was driving through the bank doing a, a, a transaction there, and they had a sign, and I just, it just cracked me up. Maybe I'm just weird, okay? So sometimes it, it, humor doesn't transfer, and I found that I have a little bit of a weird sense of humor. It's not dark or not twisted or anything like that. It's just odd. Like, there are things I'll find funny and nobody else thinks they're funny. In fact, they might even find them mildly offensive. But this just cracked me up. There was a sign taped on the, the, the window there, you know, and it was really well done. Somebody got on a computer and typed it out and, you know, made, found the perfect font, put a little patriotic picture there with the flag and everything. I mean, somebody worked on this. And here's how it read. Uh, in, in honor of July 4th, we will be closed July 5th. <laughs> See, okay, a few people laughed at that. I just thought it was funny. You know, basically what they should have said was, hey, we're getting our day off. That's what it should have said, you know. So July 4th fell on the weekend. We're still getting our day off. So, you know, those things are, are always kind of goofy to me. But I love the idea of uh, July 4th. I love Independence Day. I, I normally don't give to, to calendars in, in the days and, and go with themes, but it's really hard for me not to talk about Independence, even Independence Day, uh, when you have July 4th fall on a Sunday. And it's not uncommon for us to talk about it when it rolls around in the past, but I, I want to address Independence and Freedom and Independence Day this morning. I just can't help myself. So it's a little outside of my nature, but, uh, but I want to I do that because... I just think it's a really great opportunity to do so. Anytime our, our minds are geared toward uh, uh, an idea or a concept, uh, sometimes it's good to take advantage of that and, and use that as a platform to launch into uh, to what the Word says. So as we do that this morning, there's a few things we're going to find. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to jot these things down. Uh, these are just a, a few little things that we'll find kind of in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end, just to keep us engaged and, and keep us uh, uh, watchful here as we go through the Word. Uh, one, we're going to find why Jesus was born. I mean, there's a lot of passages of Scripture that would answer that question, but we're going to find one specific, and it's really an, an important and, and powerful thing to have in our, in our minds and in our hearts, to know why Jesus was born, why He came. I mean, the Word says that He uh, was with God and, and was, was with God. The word says that he had equality with God, but didn't see that as something to be sought after and was willing to empty himself and become a man. And, and that's a really big deal. So the question is, why? Why would he do this really great thing? This, why would this big deal come to pass? We'll see that in the scripture. Another thing we're going to find is what God did for you. What God the Father did for you, and he did it through Jesus. Now, we all 
have ideas and concepts of what was done, but we're going to see something specific in the scripture, and the, the wording, hopefully, will be effective toward, toward what is being ministered here as we look at uh, freedom and independence. Uh, a third thing we're going to find is what never ends. There's something that never ends. No matter what, in the life of the believer, in the, the life of the, the church, the congregation, the body of Christ, there's something that, that never ends. So as we get into the word this morning, I want to ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, I want to look at verses 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, it says, Jesus himself became flesh that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. I mean, I just paused there because there's a lot of, of information in those statements. I mean, the idea that, that people are subject to slavery all because of death, which is the result of sin, is a lot to unpack here. But if we're looking at just why Jesus was born, we'll see that as we, we read that passage. It's pretty plain and simple. Jesus himself became flesh. That means he became a man. He emptied himself. He was born into this world so that through death he might render powerless the one that had the power of death, that was the devil, and that he might free those. I am coming to the realization more and more every single day of my life that what Jesus did was he died on the cross so that he could take the power of death from the devil. Now, why he did that was so that he might set me free. What he did was defeat the devil. Why he did it? Me. To deliver me from slavery so that I could be free. I mean, for you and for me, everything that we see through the scripture in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, all of these things that are types and shadows of our lives right here and now begin to become clearer and clearer. It becomes less of a type and less of a shadow and more of a documentary of our lives just some thousands of years ago that God would deliver us from captivity, deliver us from slavery, and that he would do it through Jesus. I'll give you a passage of scripture here from Galatians, Galatians 5.1. It says that it was for freedom that Christ Jesus set us free. And then we have a call added to this passage of scripture. It was for freedom that Christ Jesus set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not become again subject to the yoke of slavery. This passage of scripture is revealing to me of a number of things. I mean, this passage of scripture is telling me that, that there is the opportunity to, to walk in freedom all through Jesus, that Jesus made a way. And the choices and the decisions that we're faced with in our life are either choosing to walk in that freedom or they're rejections of that freedom, which open up the door again to bondage and captivity. But freedom is really the point here, that Jesus emptied himself, that he became a man, that he defeated the devil, all so that he could bring freedom into my life and into your life. So I want to know what, what that means. I mean, what does freedom mean? And we've looked at freedom before in the past. We've, we've touched on it. We've, we've ministered freedom. This morning, if we were to turn to the dictionary and we were to look up the word freedom, here's what you would get. I want to just ask you if this helps you at all, okay? So freedom, the state of being free. Did that help you any at all? I mean, 
So now you've got to, to do like you have to do oftentimes with the dictionary. You need to look up a second word. You know, what does that mean? What is the state of being free? Now I need to look up the word free. So we look up free. Free. Not held as a slave or prisoner. Well, that's good news. And then there's a second definition, and I want you to hear this one. Having the legal and political rights of a citizen. Now, this is interesting to me because we're going to see throughout the scripture that citizenship is something that Jesus brings into our life. Citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. So I want to continue then looking up the, the, these words in the dictionary. We started with freedom, we moved to free, and now I want to know what a citizen is. A citizen, one who's entitled to the rights and privileges of a free person. So for you, for me, we have an awareness and an understanding that Jesus has done something great. God, the Father, has done something great through Jesus on our behalf. He's defeated Satan so that we could have freedom. And in this case, that freedom is released and revealed through citizenship. I'll give you a passage of scripture here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians 2, 19. It says that you're no longer strangers but that you are citizens with the saints and that you are of God's household. When we become born again, when we, our lives are transformed, old things pass away, new things come, when Jesus enters into our lives and our lives are made new, we have something wonderful and powerful introduced, citizenship Citizenship into the kingdom of God. Citizenship into the house of God. It begins to make more and more sense to me as I begin to connect dots in this direction why Jesus would proclaim before every sermon that the kingdom was at hand. Because every word that he would preach would be to bring citizenship into that kingdom, into your life and into my life. I'll give you a passage of scripture here. I told you before we're going to find what God did for you. I want to look at that right now. What God did for you, any believer, me, you, anyone that has been born again, what God did for you, Colossians 1, I want to look at verses 13 and 14. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. It opens up speaking about God. For God rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to his kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. That's what God did for you. That's what God did for me. And you see that God is involved in the beginning. It's him that's doing it. He did it through Jesus, and he did this powerful work, a transfer, a rescue, rescuing from the domain of darkness and transfer to the kingdom of his beloved son. You have two uh, words there that need to be emphasized. They need to be understood and they need to be just noticed in general. One is dominion and the other is kingdom. That God would rescue you from the domain of darkness. I mean, do you realize that the scripture would be potent and powerful if it just said God rescued you from darkness? But under the influence of the Holy Ghost, as Paul is writing to the Colossians, he writes that, that we were rescued not just from darkness, but the domain of darkness. I mean, domain is a, an interesting word, and it's revealing of something. It means that there was an area, a domain, a, a, a place that had boundaries and rules, a place of jurisdiction, so to speak, where darkness would operate. 
It's, it's not just a location that had boundaries like, you know, city limits here or there, but rather it is a jurisdiction. And in this world, there was a jurisdiction where darkness existed, where darkness prevailed, where there was darkness that ruled. The reason why Jesus would acknowledge the devil as the ruler of this world was because there was a domain of darkness. But God and his love for us through Jesus rescued us from the domain of darkness and then transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That passage of scripture could easily say God rescued you from darkness and delivered you to light. But rather it specifically talks about these political domains. One being the domain of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There's something very political happening here when God is at work in our lives, when we're born again. There's a transfer of authority, a transfer of rule. That when we become born again, it's not just a, a, a second chance. I'll pardon your sins and I'll, I'll throw you back in and see how you do this next time. But there's a transfer of governance, leadership. To be moved from the domain of darkness and then into the kingdom of Jesus Christ is to have a change of headship. First, that domain of darkness being headed up by the devil and all that is dark. Second, being moved into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is all that is light, all that is righteous, all that is just, and all that is true. Now we begin to see very clearly why throughout the scripture we're seeing and hearing about the kingdom of God. Why we begin to see the kingdom of God spoken and ministered and proclaimed by Jesus as he begins to reveal and release the ministry that would bring all believers together. From the book of Daniel, Daniel 7.14, we see a powerful vision of Jesus being established as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I mean, it's really the only passage of Scripture where you'll see Jesus standing before the Heavenly Father. It's a, it's a really profound thing that you're seeing. In fact, as Daniel looks into the, the, the vision, he sees the Ancient of Days and Jesus then presented. And it says, to him, that's Jesus, was granted a dominion. There's that word again. A jurisdiction. Glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. I mean, this is a really powerful political passage of scripture. Talking about rule and authority, talking about sovereignty. And we'll see this from the book of Isaiah. You know, unfortunately, we pull these passages of scripture out once a year around Christmas time because it involves Jesus being born and it's very fitting to the season. But it's really a passage of scripture that's at the foundation of all Christianity. Isaiah chapter 9, you'll find in verse 6 and 7. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. I mean, when you take the time and notice, have you ever, let's just say, maybe you got a red car, and then you began to notice how many red cars there were on the road, right? Something like that. When you have an emphasis on something specific, all of a sudden you begin to notice it more. When you begin to look for government in the scripture, it's amazing how present it is. 
I mean, do you ever think about Christmas time and baby Jesus lying in the manger and all of that being about government? I mean, not really. The idea that we take the time to look at this is really important. That we see not just what God did, but we see why he was doing it. That he sent Jesus to do this wonderful thing, to defeat Satan, to set us free. That this would be a deliverance from one jurisdiction and a release into another. That we would be separated from a dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. As we consider government, as we consider what God's doing, it's important for us to understand that he's doing this all out of his love for you. That we wouldn't live our lives in bondage and in slavery to a jurisdiction that is corrupt, but that we might live in prosperity and joy under a jurisdiction that is just. That's the reason why Jesus preached the way he did. I want to give you a few passages of scripture, and these are just a few. Matthew 4.17, it says, From that time on, as Jesus began to preach, he would preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, he's making a declaration before every sermon that there's a need to change because there's a new jurisdiction. Change what? Change from the dominion of darkness. Change from being ruled by the devil and all that is corrupt and step into his headship, which is righteous and which is just. A call to change for there's a new jurisdiction at hand. Matthew 10, 7 and 8 He was instructing others as they were going to preach. And he said, as you go and preach, say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. Freely as you received, freely give. I think sometimes because we're so attracted to the miraculous and we're so uh, drawn to the supernatural and the manifestation of the power of the Spirit of God and the gifts of the Holy Ghost, which we ought to be drawn to, But because we're so drawn to those things, I think we can forget the the political statement that precedes them. Go and tell people there's a new government. Go and tell people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go and tell people that the domain of darkness has been defeated and that there is a transfer out of the jurisdiction of darkness and into the kingdom of God. And I think it's interesting that when that comes first, then you begin to see the manifestation. You begin to see the power of God. You begin to see the deliverance and all the effects of a heavenly jurisdiction. Luke chapter 10 verse 9 is another declaration. Jesus speaking, saying, Heal those who are sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. I mean, when I read these passages of Scripture as a new believer, when I was first born again, they just seemed to kind of be the way Jesus talked, you know. I kind of put him in a a different setting, in a different time, in a different nation, with a different language, and I just saw this as kind of the way he spoke. Now I see he's saying that on purpose. This isn't just a customary way to talk, you know. He's not just, well, that's just the way we say it in Aramaic, you know. But he's saying something important. He's saying something that needs to be paid attention to. And if we're so distracted by the miracle, we can miss the catalyst for the miracle. The thing that the miracle travels through or the thing that brings or delivers the miracle into existence. And that's very much about government. About rule and reign and authority. 
As Jesus began to set people free through his ministry, people being set free from demonic affliction, you know, I mean, whether it was, was madness or anger or, or licentiousness and, and, and uh, foul behaviors and drunkenness, no matter what it was, these behaviors that were destroying people's lives that had become so deeply rooted in their lives uh, uh, by demonic means, Jesus is setting them free and he begins to explain how. I mean, that's a really cool thing. That he wouldn't just do it like, like he's, you know, a magician, you know, like David Copperfield or David Blaine and then just put on a good show and never tell anyone how it's done. But rather he's doing this and then he explains how. He says it here in Matthew, Matthew 12, 28. He says, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God because the kingdom of God has come upon you. He attaches the government to it. The, the jurisdiction, the rule, the reign, the authority, that's, that's how I do it. I do it because of the kingdom, because there's authority, because there's rule, because I have jurisdiction to do so. Whether you want to call it a heavenly deputization or whether you want to call it an impartation of authority, however you want to word it, the point is, is he's saying how it's done. And it's governmental. It's rule, it's authority. And then now we come to, to us today, when we celebrate what we celebrate, Independence Day, the 4th of July. Last night I had to go out late and retrieve one of my dogs because he, she had run off for fear of all the fireworks going off. And the constant, you know, loud noises and the, the, all the, these things, these things all done in celebration. Uh, I have better ways to celebrate than just go out in the driveway and light my money on fire. But, but apparently for a lot of people, if it goes bang and it's pretty in the sky, sign them up, you know, yeah. But, the, you know, this is what we do. We're celebrating and we're celebrating something great. We, you know, it's, it's Independence Day. It's the 4th of July. Now, we've talked about Independence Day in the past and we've talked about it in the, in the sense that it's not Freedom Day, but it's Independence Day. You know, we, we've had that message in the past. The idea that Independence Day wasn't a day in which freedom came into existence. It was a day in which a declaration was made. Remember, well, the document that was signed that even marks Independence Day is the Declaration of Independence. It's not the establishment of freedom. Rather, it's the statement, the stand being made that says we are separating from one dominion and we are establishing a new dominion a new jurisdiction. We're separating from tyranny and we are embracing what is believed to be right. That's what the Declaration of Independence is. In fact, it opens up with that. It says, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds that have connected them to another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. It says that there's a, a decent respect for the opinions of mankind that require them to reveal the causes that impel them to this separation. So that's how it's worded, right? We don't really talk like that. But what that means is when it comes a time for someone to separate from tyranny, a declaration is needed. And it goes on to say the parts that we're more familiar with, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with, with certain unalienable rights, and that among these rights are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, those are the, the parts that we remember and remember very clearly. But then I want you to hear the next part to that. The next part reveals why government exists, okay? 
So you got that, that, that line in there, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that these are the unalienable rights that God has endowed every man with, every man that's been created, created equally. Now then, here's the next line in that Declaration of Independence. That to secure these rights. If I were going to highlight any part of the Declaration of Independence, if I were going to underline any part of it, circle any part of it, highlight, bold, italicize any part of it, that would be the part. That's the point. That's the point of all government, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. And that when any form of government becomes hostile or destructive to this end, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government that to them see fit, most fitting, to secure their safety and their happiness. I mean, these are the things that, that were written. These are the things that were established in the Declaration of Independence that we celebrate every 4th of July. These are the things that were, were pursued in order for us to wave flags and declare freedom and, and, and include in our identity that this is, is you know, the, the land of the free. And we see similarities in all of these things to the things that we see in the Scripture. In fact, much of the idea and the purpose behind this derived from the idea that God has made man to be free. I mean, it's the reason why you would see that all of these things were established upon foundations that were the laws of nature and nature's God. It's God that established liberty. It's God that established freedom. And it's what we see in our salvation and our deliverance. It's what we see when we're delivered from one jurisdiction of tyranny into a jurisdiction of righteousness and justice. It's when we see ourselves delivered from darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that we would celebrate our independence as a nation based on certain unalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now we see that, that those are things that are present there. And the reason why government exists, remember, was to secure those rights. To secure them, not to, to control them, not to... Uh, uh, dictate what that means and what that is, but simply to secure it, to see to it that that's not violated. It's, it's one of the very reasons why I'm, I'm very pro-life. I mean, I've had conversations with men, and, and we've had conversations where there were differing views and opinions. And I just said, well, do you believe in the Declaration of Independence? To which they said, oh, absolutely I do. And I said, well, do you realize the first unalienable right is life? Life. I mean, these are the things that are foundational. These are the things that our, our, our government is set up, allegedly, and should be to secure. And when they become destructive to it, it ought to be altered. For us, we see something great in the, the kingdom of God. When Jesus steps in and he begins to declare independence from a domain of darkness in a new jurisdiction, we see that there are rights that are in the kingdom. I want to give you a passage of scripture concerning the kingdom of God from Romans, Romans 14, 17. It says the kingdom of God is, or the kingdom of God consists of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
I want to offer this to you, and it's just an opinion of mine, and it's an opinion that I hold to, that these are my rights as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Because of Jesus, I have the right to righteousness. I don't have to make choices and decisions that lead to sin and corruption. There was a time when sin and corruption affected my choices and decisions. Even though I knew that being a drunk was destroying my life, I couldn't shake it. Today, I can. All because of the authority of Jesus Christ. I have the right to righteousness. Peace. No matter what hell comes and rattles its saber at my front door, I have the right to peace. To know that the highest price was paid for my life, that my ransom when I was in, in peril, when I was in captivity, was paid in full, and that God's plans for my life are plans to prosper. No matter what is seen or felt, I have the right to peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. No matter how much affliction, no matter how much depression tries to enter into my life as a Christian, I have the right to joy. These are my unalienable rights as a believer. And any time there's something that is aggressive toward these things, or as the Declaration of Independence puts it, if something becomes destructive to these ends, it's my right to alter or abolish it. When something in my life becomes destructive to righteousness, peace, or joy in the Holy Ghost, it is my right to alter or to abolish it and to establish what would bring about those things. And in this case, that's Jesus. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here. And I want to give you this passage of Scripture in, in context with where I want to go with it. That Declaration of Independence that was written and penned by men hundreds of years ago on our behalf was one that was written with the foundation of understanding what freedom and liberty meant. Understanding that it wouldn't be free, that it would take a price, and understanding that no matter what, I want to say this and I want you to pay attention, there's no such thing as independence. Sounds weird, right? Because it's the Declaration of Independence. But what these men understood is no matter what, we're going to be dependent upon something or someone. Will it be something tyrannical and something destructive? Or will it be something life-giving? And as they began to establish this declaration and they began to declare independence, they were declaring independence from tyranny. There's pages and pages on the reasons why they were separating from that tyrannical government. They gave reason upon reason. They gave proof upon proof of the tyranny that they were separating from. And then in the last line, they make a statement of what they choose now to be dependent upon. I want to read the last line to you, that last line of the Declaration of Independence here. Here's what you see. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Let me just kind of reword that without changing the meaning. They start off by saying, we're declaring independence from tyranny. And then they close by saying, and now we're dependent on God's protection in each other. God's protection in each other, serving one another, that we would lay down our lives for one another. 
that we would be willing to pledge to one another our lives, our fortunes, our honor, and that we would now rely upon God's protection, God's provision. I mean, it doesn't have the same ring to it, but if you took that last line, you could call it the declaration of dependence. Because ultimately, that's what they're saying. This declaration isn't one that is saying there's going to be total anarchy and there's not going to be any government, but rather it's saying the government that exists is tyrannical and it needs to be adjusted or abolished. It needs to be adjusted so that righteousness and all of these rights that we have as God's creation can thrive or it needs to be completely removed and replaced. And for us, Jesus comes in and begins to speak the same message begins to preach that all should understand and know that change should come because there is a new jurisdiction, a kingdom that is established that is meant to deliver us from tyranny and release us into prosperity, righteousness, justice. 1 Corinthians 4.20 makes a statement. It's a powerful statement. It says the kingdom of God doesn't consist in words or exist in words, but rather in power. Power, or another word or another perspective would be actions. I mean, it's not talk, but it's, it's how we live. The men that signed the Declaration of Independence, they, they didn't just create an eloquent document and think, hey, how would be a, a really nice, pleasant, eloquent way to end this? Oh, I know. Let's declare that we're going to have to depend on God and that we're going to have to pledge to one another our lives and our fortunes and our sacred honor, and then let's go home. It wasn't just talk. Rather, it was a declaration made and then actions to follow. When you see Jesus make a declaration of a change of government, a change in jurisdictions, it wasn't just talk, but he delivered his life, pledging to you his life, his fortune, his kingdom, his honor. He hung with thieves. And yet he'd never sinned. He pledged all of those things to you, and then he made good on his word. What a wonderful thing to see. That as we walk in the kingdom of God together, it's not simply a declaration, but whether it's a, it's a way of life, a series of choices and decisions and actions that are lived out that produce this wonderful effect. The effect of a change in jurisdiction, the effect, the effect, excuse me, of a change in governance to no longer be led by darkness, but to be led by Jesus. I mentioned before that we were going to find what never ends. I want to give that to you now as we close. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Revelation eleven fifteen. The words will sound familiar because of our holiday music and, and it was never intended to be holiday music. Rather, it was intended to be simply music, a celebration of all that God has done. Revelation eleven fifteen, The kingdom of our world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever.
I mean, that's the kind of passage of scripture that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what, whether it's a high point, whether it's a low point, whether it's somewhere in between, that scripture applies. And when applies, has tremendous effect. Do you see two governments being spoken about in that scripture? Uh, two jurisdictions. I mean, there's this world and then there's Jesus. And this declaration is that the kingdom of this world has become. That would mean it wasn't before, but it has become that, which means it is now. Wasn't before, but is now. That's a change. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. It's that understanding, it's that awareness that helps us to know and, and to become aware of what it is that God's done on our behalf. So much more than, than simply punching a ticket to heaven, but a change and a transfer of the rule and the reign and the authority in, over, and through your life. That he would deliver us from the domain of darkness, transfer us to the kingdom of his beloved son, that we would be made free, that we would be established as citizens and have the rights of the kingdom of God behind every one of our words and our actions, and that we might have unalienable rights of righteousness, peace, and joy, no matter what, all through Jesus. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray for us. I want to ask God to do something on our behalf. I want to trust and believe that by his spirit there can be a work done in our hearts and our minds simply to see the governing work of Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, growing up in church circles and and growing up in in, uh, uh, church communities, it was no strange thing to hear of Jesus as Lord or, or as Savior And even to hear him established as king. But when he became established as king in in verbiage, in word, it was without understanding of what that actually meant. To have a a ruling, governing figure in my life. To to lead and and to guide. To to bring justice and and ruling in in situation or circumstance of, of trouble. And I think it's very important for us to see throughout the gospel, Jesus declaring what's going on, a change in governance, a separation from what is tyrannical and destructive to your life, to your well-being, and a release into a kingdom that brings the rights of righteousness, peace, and joy into your existence. I want to pray for us this morning, and I want to celebrate that independence, that freedom, The word says that the devil uh, is is present to steal and to kill and to destroy. I look at that and I consider those the rights of darkness, you know, theft, death, and destruction. And then I see the rights of the kingdom of God, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I begin to realize that in darkness, that's all I knew was theft and loss and destruction, and then now in light, being transferred out of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, I do see righteousness and peace and joy. It's more than just a a story or a moral proverb. That change in governance is real and powerful 
And it's our testimony that reveals to this world that truth. So there where you stand, I want to pray. And I want to ask God to do this work in our lives. You can be in an attitude of uh, simply receiving or, or a mindset of agreement. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have sent Jesus to liberate us and to set us free. We thank you for his faithfulness, that he would respond to your call and that he would give his life in our place. And we ask now that in our hearts and in our minds a work would be done by your spirit, that we would begin to see and to know what has been done on our behalf clearly. Let us know and understand the change of governance and leadership in our life that we would see the deliverance from the domain of darkness, that we would come to know that separation and that transfer into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that we would begin to see and acknowledge Jesus as the authority figure that he is, our king. And let all of the effects of citizenship in your kingdom be embraced and lived out in and through our lives, that we would walk in the righteousness and the peace and the joy that we have as citizens in your kingdom. We give you thanks for this deliverance, this independence from tyranny, this separation from darkness, and this transfer into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let our dependence be upon him. And let us pledge to one another as the congregation all of the support and the love and the brotherly kindness that would be necessary to walk as the church. Let this transfer be understood and embraced and let it be celebrated that Jesus is Lord, that he rules and reigns, not just eternally distant on a throne in heaven, but right here and now in and through our lives. Let our thoughts, our actions, and our words all reflect this powerful transformation. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.